Well, I said welcome already. I think so. But welcome. I'm glad you're here. And if you're watching online, welcome. Thank you for joining us today. Um, Pastor Penn has been in a series on relationships for the past maybe four weeks or so. And um, so I wanted, uh, all week I had on my heart Ephesians 4. So we're going to go through the first, I think, 16 verses of Ephesians 4. It's an incredible chapter. It talks a lot about unity. And if you get nothing else out of this morning, here's what I want you to remember. That you have a purpose. Every single one of you, if you've said yes to Jesus, if you're part of the body of Christ, you have a purpose. Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12, Ephesians 4, they all speak to the grace that was poured out into people's lives. Romans 12 says that everybody's been given a gift. And um, you've been given different graces in your life. So if you've been given the gift of encouragement, then encourage with all your heart. If you've been given the gift of giving, give with passion. If you have the gift of prophecy, prophesy according to your faith. It's almost like there's something given to you. Use it. Use it. And um, so I think there's a lot of people that can kind of uh, look to people on a stage and think they're the ones that are supposed to do the works of service. They're supposed to be the ones that make things happen. And while there is, there is something that goes with uh, preaching, teaching the Word of God, all of us, every single one of us have been given a gift of grace. And it's up to you to find out what that gift is in your life. If you think that you don't have anything to give to the body of Christ, there's a sense where you can just disconnect yourself. You can remove yourself from any kind of responsibility, but I don't think that's the way it is. <laughs> I think all of us have a part to play. 1 Corinthians 12, I mentioned that already, but it, it talks about um, how we're a lot like a body. So we have arms, we have ears, we have eyes, nose, all those different parts. And it says, you know what? Whatever you are, just do it. Don't, don't argue and say, you know, I'm not, I can't smell. I almost thought I was going to do an illustration where I come up here and I have my arms inside my suit coat and I just have these sleeves flopping, you know, try to illustrate. And I thought, how's that going to work? How am I going to pick up my Bible? How am I going to hold the mic? <laughs> and I passed on the illustration. So you'll just have to imagine, okay? You'll have to imagine. Are you getting the point? All right, let's go to Ephesians 4. Um, Paul wrote Ephesians in a prison cell, in a jail cell in Rome. He spent like two and a half years in Ephesus and had such a huge impact on that community that he actually affected the economy. Like, it messed up their economy. A lot of what they did had to do with uh, making and selling idols. And so I think it was Diana. They would make all these little figurines, and they would sell them. They would buy them. Their life revolved around idol worship. And so, so many people quit buying these little idols that they got upset. And Paul's time at Ephesus ended in a riot, like explosive, angry mob of people saying, you're costing me money. 
Basically, that's what happened. And that's how his time there ended. So the Lord used him down the road at the next place. But anyway, he ends up in a jail cell. So he's writing this from the jail cell. And he says, we'll start in here. As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. Did you ever hear somebody say, I'm paying you good money. You better do a good job. Anybody ever hear that? <laughs> Jared, you hear that all the time. <laughs> I'm paying you good money. If you work on a crew, I used to work on a construction crew. You hear it all the time. They're, they're telling you, they're reminding you of the kind of money that they've paid. You better do a good job. I'm paying you good money. In my head, I hear Paul saying the same kind of thing. Listen, you've been given immeasurable grace in your life by God. He's poured out gifts on you. He's poured out his Holy Spirit on you. You, you have the life of Christ inside of you. You have the fruit of the Spirit. You've been given all this kind of stuff. Now act like it. <laughs> Live a life worthy of the calling that you received. He says, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bonds of peace. And unity is something that's misunderstood at times, but it's an incredibly beautiful thing. Uh, unity doesn't mean that you're going to agree on every little detail in life. And there's people that try to come up with a system where everybody agrees on, on the minute details, on a lot of secondary things. And that's actually often where division comes in. But when your unity is in Christ, when you have a focus of honoring the Lord and having uh, loving the world around you, you know, we come from an extremely diverse background here. You know, you have everything from atheists to, you know, you have Amish. So when you bring a group like that in, you can't try to convince people that here's details. You must agree on this and this and this and how you dress and all those. That'll cause division. But your unity has to be in the spirit. And you can't have unity without, verse 2, humility. You can't have unity without gentleness. You can't have unity without patience. You can't have unity without bearing with each other. Long-suffering. That means you don't have a short fuse. That's how unity is produced. Sometimes you don't know how beautiful unity is until you don't have it. And... <laughs> Here's an illustration. We had a five-hour road trip one way <laughs> this week. If, if, if my kids are in unity in the back seat, the back of the car, you, you, life is good. Like, you could just keep driving. You know, everything, the, the leaves are changing. It's like, oh, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. Kids are happy. And when there's a loss of unity, it's like, could this trip be over now? Like, I'm done. You know, the reason, one of the, one of the things that makes me almost as joyful as, as you can, as much joy as I can experience, it, it feels like, is when I watch my kids or I hear them play together. Um, and they're just getting along. Like, they're, they're sharing their toys. 
and there's happy. There's, oh, there's all this talk back and forth. It's delightful to listen to. Like, it makes my heart so happy. I think the reason that I feel those kind of emotions is because they come from my Father in heaven. My Father in heaven, I believe he has emotions. And that's, that's the way I've got the emotions that I have. So just a reflection of what's in his heart. But when there's a loss of unity, and when somebody starts hoarding the toys and uh, slapping one of the, you know, one of the siblings, and there's anger and, <sighs> I don't feel that same delight that I was feeling. Any parents know what I'm talking about? Okay. Okay. You know what I'm talking about. So I, I sometimes, you know, when that's happening, I'm like, Lord, I think I know how you feel. I think I know how you feel when Christians fight and bicker with each other. I don't know. You get it? All right. Let's go to, uh, oh, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit. That means there's some stuff that's on you. As much as lieth within you, live peaceably with all man. So there's some things that you have to examine your own relationships. Have, have I done as much as lies within me? You, know, you can't always cause another person to come into agreement or unity with you. But there is a part that you can play where you actually go to them. You make every effort uh, to keep unity through peace. Let's go to the next verse in verse 4. He says, there's one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. You probably breeze over that verse, there's one body, and we don't even think of it. Like, we don't give it a second thought. I actually think this was, this was huge to them. This was, this was a big deal. In, uh, in, in Galatians, I think it is, Paul writes, and he says, there's neither Greek nor Juke, Jew, Jew, nor Greek. Do you guys get that? That was funny. <laughs> what did I say? Juke? I can't, I can't even repeat that one. There's neither Jew nor Greek, slave or free, male nor free, female. I'm going to twist all my words up now. But he's throwing out a mind-blowing concept there. I think, because they came from a system where it's, it's, so, um, it's so racial. It's so many caste systems. They weren't used to doing life with somebody who's not in their own social status. And he's saying, listen, if you're in Christ, you're a new creation. You're one body. You're one body. I think, I think it's, it's kind of shocking to them. It doesn't mean anything to us. We have a couple hundred years of living under the Declaration of Independence, you know, where it's, um, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. Though that Declaration of Independence is based upon the Bible. It's based on that Jew or Greek. That's where they got that stuff. I think when the Declaration of Independence, when they came out and said, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, 
That was a shocking thing to people. We don't think about those things anymore. But we do deal with people from different social statuses. Like, how do you relate to people that don't do life the way you do life, but they still name the name of Christ? Do you ignore that person? Or do you mind sitting beside somebody who's just different than you are? It says we're one body. I had a reminder of, of that this week. I went to a family reunion. And um, you find out lots of things at family reunions. <laughs> there was somebody there who did a lot of research into family history. And they said, well, one of the things that we're going to do at this reunion, we rented a coach and we're going to go explore where some of your grandparents are buried. And, you know, everybody usually has four trunks coming into their family. You know, your ancestry. You have a grandmother and grandpa on one side, grandmother and grandpa on the other. And so they said, well, grandmother on your father's side, that's who we're going to go explore. That's who we're going to find out. And they had done all this research. So we went to the graveyards and see my great, great, great grandpa on my father. Anyway, it gets, you know how it gets. Um, but I found out that I'm related to people I didn't want to be related to. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's a, there's a sect of Amish that I've mocked. I, I've ignored. I've, I've made fun of them. I, I didn't like them. And all of a sudden I find out, oops, I've been mocking people I'm related to. And we're at, we're, you know, we're at their barnyards, we're at their farms, talking to them. It was a little bit humbling for me. And all of a sudden I'm reminded, oh, I've talked about people. Now I can't do that anymore. It's a bit of an illustration, okay? Sometimes we do that to people from different social statuses than we are. We look down on people. You don't, you don't do that in the body of Christ. Somehow, you've got to find unity in Christ. That whether they're from another culture, whether they're from another economic standard, social status, we're one body. We're one body. This was, this was reformation when he put it in the Bible. There's neither, neither Jew nor Greek. Boy, that's it's tough for me right now. All right. <clears throat> He goes on, and um, he says, One Lord, this is verse 5, One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father over all, who is over all and through all in all. I've heard this verse used to um, say that you shouldn't get rebaptized. I don't know if any of you have heard that, but some conservative backgrounds, even Anabaptist backgrounds say, this, this verse means you shouldn't get rebaptized, And I don't believe that's what it's referring to at all. The people he's writing to were polytheists, which means they believed in many gods. So they had a god for different days of the week. If it was sunny and it, the ground was dry, they would begin worshiping. They would begin worshiping the rain god and offering sacrifices and hopefully will cause some rain to come. 
If it rained too much, they'd start worshiping the sun god. And perhaps that way. So everything in their thought was, there's many gods for us to please. And he's bringing them back. Completely revolutionary again. That there's one God. One God. And so that's what he's referring to in one baptism as well. He's just bringing it back to, there's, there's not many gods, but there's one. So if you've never experienced baptism... As a believer, I think that's an experience that you have to have, that Jesus calls you to have. The funny thing is, the people that are saying you shouldn't get rebaptized because there's only one you can ever have, hundreds of years ago, they were being put to death because they were rebaptizing. And now they've come full circle where they persecute people who do what they were how they were founded. Am I making sense? Okay, verse 7. You got to have part in this one. Go to verse 7. But each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. Grace has been given to you. Take your pointer finger. If you're watching online, you got to join us. <laughs> pointer finger. Now point it right at yourself and say, Grace has been given. To me, I have a purpose. You have a purpose. Jesus told a parable about the talents. And he said, you know what? There's somebody that went out and they gave talents. Did they give the talents just for something beautiful? Just for like to be cool or something? No. They were for a purpose. You've been given grace for a purpose. It's up to you to find out what it is. Because I think every single one of us has a purpose. Everyone. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. And I don't understand this well enough to do it justice. What I know, what it's referring to this verse is, after Jesus' crucifixion, the Bible says that he descended into the lower parts of the earth. And then he, he ascended again. So that's, that's all I know what to say. You're going to have to ask Pastor Penn if you want that one explained a little better. Going into verse 11, we're going to spend a little bit more time with this. It says... So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service. Now, I was 24 years old. I think it was 24 before I found out that apostles and prophets, this is what we call the fivefold ministry. And I knew what evangelists were. I knew what teachers were. I knew what pastors were. But I, I, was, I thought that when the apostles died, that was done. When the last of the prophets, you know, we read prophets in the Bible, but, you know, that has to do with the supernatural. I thought it's over. It wasn't, it wasn't until 24 years old that I found out that this is, this is not something that ended. It's continued. There's a whole segment of the church of the body of Christ that doesn't believe, uh, believe it anymore or doesn't draw from that gift 
and it's to their detriment, but it, it hasn't ended. There's 22 references to apostles in the Bible, in the New Testament. And I can give you that list if you want that list. And it says that Christ gave these gifts, if you look on down in verse 13, until we all reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Have we gotten there yet? I, I don't think we have. I don't think we have. Paul, when he used, Paul didn't make this word up. The way I understand it is the word apostle was literally borrowed from something in, in Roman culture. When the Romans would go out and they'd conquer a nation, they, they would send out apostles to make that conquered nation, to bring the cultures of Rome to that conquered nation. And so they'd bring culture and customs and set up different institutions so that when you went to the conquered nation, it reflected the country that they came from. That's what an apostle did. Pastor Penn is an apostle. I don't know if you've heard him say that, but Pastor Penn is an apostle. There's a grace that's on his life that, that Christ put upon him. It's not like he can, he can do something about it. If you know Pastor Penn, he burns with a passion. Um, just a couple of, of uh, weeks ago, he traveled to Ohio. Then he traveled to Delaware and he traveled to Canada. All these different places, he has planted churches that has changed those people's lives. Okay? He's planted a church and it's, it's created a place that changes the environment of that community. That's what happened here at Wellspring. I don't know how much it's affected our, you know, culture of Yates County. I'm not, I'm not saying that, but I know it's affected my life. I know it's affected my family. I think it's probably affected yours. If he wouldn't have had a vision to travel from Canada and plant a church in this area, None of us would be drawing from that. That's the grace that's on an apostle. They, they, they often plant churches. They start new ministries. And they have vision for what's not but could be. It's a beautiful gift that Christ gave to the body of Christ that brings us into a place of maturity. That's what an apostle is. Um, let's look at prophets just real quick. And you guys are familiar with prophets in the Bible. Jonah was a prophet. Prophets are often sent by God to fulfill a task. They often burn with, you know, sometimes it's a one message kind of thing. So Jonah was sent to Nineveh to bring a message of repentance. All right? He didn't want to go. But when he got there, the city repented. There was a grace on his life for that. So he preached repentance. Moses was actually a prophet. And his task from God was to lead a people out of bondage. Um, there's others. Nehemiah. Nehemiah would have been a prophet with a, with a task from God to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. To bring safety to the people. Most of you have heard of David Wilkerson. David Wilkerson was a modern-day prophet who was a pastor. 
But God gave him a message of repentance to bring the church back to a place of purity. That's what David Wilkerson burned with. You'd hear him talking about returning to holiness. He burned with a passion for that. There's a, there's a young man, uh, Malin and Ruth, who used to be a part of us here, moved down to North Carolina. And there's a, there's a young man down there with a ministry, a school of ministry. His name is Jeremiah Johnson. He's another modern-day prophet who his entire message of his life has become, we're the bride of Christ. We're the bride of Christ. Prepare yourselves for the marriage supper of the Lamb. The day's coming. Prepare yourself for the marriage supper. The bridegroom's coming. That's his entire message, and I believe he's sent by God for the church to wake up anybody who's sleeping and say, the marriage supper of the Lamb is coming. Prepare yourselves. Kind of like get oil in your lamps kind of thing. I've benefited personally from prophets in my life. And some of you know Bill Clark. He's a pastor, but he's also a prophet from Buffalo. And uh, over the time that Amy and I moved to Penyan, um, I didn't have, uh, I was called to be a pastor, but I had all kinds of prejudice against it. I did not want to be a pastor. I told Amy that. I was like, I'm never going to be a pastor. I promise you I won't. And I just had, it was all kinds of prejudice in my heart. My father was a pastor. My father-in-law was a pastor. And I had just seen their lives just chewed up and spit out. And I hadn't, I hadn't seen, um, I, I thought it was a lot of, you know, you had to have people keep the rule book. And I, I just, that was not appealing to my, <laughs> me at all. I saw something completely different. Maybe I'll mention that later. Um, but anyway, Pastor Penn had asked, hey, would you stay and help pastor the church here? And Amy and I, we just, you know, we have all this prejudice in our heart against it. And I remember just saying to the Lord, I, I, I know I have all this stuff and I don't even know how to hear you clearly. And we were at camp meeting and walking up to him, and he just began proclaiming the word of the Lord over our lives, even as we're walking up towards him. Completely changed my life. He said, you're called to pastor. I see it on you. God has called you. Like he repeated it several times. And I, he didn't know me. It's the first time he had ever seen me. But that was the entire focus of my week. God, you got to speak to me about what I've been asked to do. I, I don't know how to even hear you right now. So God uses this. This is a gift from Christ for the church, and it has to be honored. It's a beautiful thing. We don't see that much here. That's why we network with other churches, because there's grace outside of ourselves. It's a beautiful gift from God. Evangelist, that's another one he says, is a gift from God. And evangelists, you probably know many evangelists, a lot of different ones come to my mind. If you were at camp meeting, you saw a young guy, Danny Schrock. He's an evangelist. You can tell it. They burn with a passion to get people to experience Christ. They burn with passion to see people freed from bondage. That's, that's, what, they, that's what they live for. They're so excited when somebody who's lost gets saved. That thrills them like nothing else does. That's an evangelist. 
Brian Connolly, who was here for the rugged retreat, he's an evangelist. It's what burns inside of him. I don't know how many of you uh, have heard the name Mario Murillo. Some of you? Mario Murillo? Oh, yeah, look at that. I see lots of... The 9 o'clock crowd had no clue. I don't know what's wrong with them. <laughs> but I got to go listen to Mario Murillo this week. And he set up a big tent up in Batavia. And uh, it was incredible to see the gift of an evangelist at work. Big tent, hold 1,900 people. There was probably 4,000 people there. Huge crowd outside the tent. I just, I was taking pictures and videos. This is incredible. Huge crowd. And he gets up. He's a short guy, shorter than I am. And he just gets up and he's talking regular. He talks in a rough way. But I'm thought, he's just giving the announcements. I'm not sure. And then he starts telling Bible stories. And it was a long time before I discovered, I think, I think this is his sermon. And then all of a sudden he said, it's time for people to get saved now. Get up out of your seats. No, don't sit down again. Get up. And I, I watched people in front of me get up and sit down, get up and sit down. But the guy, when he opened the front, probably 400 people came up to the front. And I'm like, this is incredible. This is amazing. But it was a gift from God. It was an anointing on his life. That was calling people who didn't know Jesus to come to Christ. Beautiful thing to watch happen. Um, next one he mentions here is pastors. Now, the gift from God, you know what a pastor is. But a pastor has a heart for people. They better love people. You, you, that's, that's what a pastor should do. A pastor loves for and cares people. When I came here and I saw Pastor Penn pastoring, it changed my concept of what pastoring looked like. It's actually what caused my heart to be willing to open to that. So pastors provide, they care for, they protect, they gather. And that's what's made this past year so difficult for a lot, a lot of pastors is the inability for some people to gather. I think what caused the big difference for Wellspring is Pastor Penn has had a huge focus on this thing called fellowship that There's not, some people don't focus on that. And the Bible talks a lot about koinonia. And koinonia means just a higher place of fellowship. It means doing life with one another. There's so many one another's in the Bible that mean you love one another, you care for one another. When you have a body that's used to doing that with each other, people become healthy because that's what we were created for. Sitting in a row, sitting in a pew is not God's, God's version of fellowship, I don't believe. You've got to have opportunity and ways to one another. And that's a lot easier to do when you're face-to-face, -face, spending time with each other. Teachers. Pastor Penn's a teacher. Pastor Penn's a teacher. Teachers have an anointing from God. It's a gift to the body of Christ. And teachers love to see. They, they, they believe, Romans 12, that when people can be transformed by the renewing of their mind, that when they get understanding, when truth begins to open up in Scripture to somebody, bondages just break off. People begin to understand why they act the way they do, why they sin, what Christ actually did. What happened? So they have a, a longing to just open up the word. 
to bring light to the scripture because that's what happens. That's what teachers are. What's the purpose of these five, this fivefold ministry? I got just a couple minutes. You know what the purpose is? Here it says to equip his people for works of service. To equip his people for works of service. I think a lot of people in the American church, a lot of people think the works of service belong to the people that are on the stage. That's not what the Bible teaches. It says that the fivefold ministry is to equip the body for ministry. Equippers. So it looks like it looks like somebody that says, here's a hammer. Here's how to use it. Here's a tool bag. Here's how to use it. Here's a first aid kit. Here's how to use it. That's what apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, all these, they're to give all of us tools that the body can be one unit that works together, that cares for each other. And can I just drop care group in here again? Because <laughs> this is a lot like care groups, what they look like. That's why you got to get involved in one. It gives you opportunity to care for each other. It gives you opportunities. I'm going to go on. He says, let me just read the rest of 13. Until we all reach unity in the faith in the knowledge of the Son of God, and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Boy, what does that, what does that sound like to you? That sounds like together we're supposed to look like Jesus. To, to me, that's what that sounds like. Together, all together, we're supposed to reflect the image of Christ. Attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will be no longer infants, tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful shaming that happens. Instead, speaking the truth in love. You got to do it. Speak the truth in love. We will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. There you go again. Sounds to me an awful lot like he's saying we're supposed to look like Jesus to the people around us. We will grow to become the mature body of him who is Christ. Verse 16, for him, from him, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. You see that? The whole body joined and held together. Listen, don't, dis don't disconnect yourself from the body. He says, be joined, be held together. Yeah, I don't, I don't care what it is. Don't disconnect yourself. Don't isolate yourself. Be joined together. Be held together. Don't disconnect. It says it grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. I have my jacket on, but if I didn't, you could see where I cut myself. Hey, 
big old scab. I, I actually yanked it off last night. That's always fun, <laughs> picking those scabs off. But I cut myself. You know what my body did when I cut myself? So referring to this part, as each part does its work, when my body cut my, when, when my body cut, when I got a cut, I don't know if there was some kind of general alarm, something, but my body sprang into action. And immediately my blood vessels constricted. They were, they were stopping the blood flow that's rushing towards that. And my platelets, the platelets in my blood started releasing proteins that caused my blood to clot. I didn't know it's happening but it happened. My body was doing its work. And they started clotting the blood. And as soon as it was clotted, you know what happened? My blood vessels expanded again. And now it was releasing white blood cells because there's bacteria. As soon as you penetrate that skin, there's bacteria gets in. And now there's all kinds of white blood cells surrounding that cut. And they're attacking the bacteria that got in. You know what it does next? It releases collagen. And it actually, if you could watch it under a microscope, it's like it builds scaffolding. And it begins repairing the gap. It repairs, it repairs. All that time, there's a protective scab that goes over it. And it covers the situation. It covers. Isn't that amazing? God made your body work in a kind of way. You had no idea. Every single time you get cut, there is all kinds of action going on. The same kind of thing should happen in the body. We join together. We join together. And we go into action when somebody gets a cut. That's how the body is supposed to work. And that's what's beautiful, right? Why don't you stand up? And we're going to pray together. Can you put your hand on your heart? Could you do that? Say, Lord, I know I got a purpose. I know you have a purpose for my life. Thank you for the grace that you've poured out in my life. Can you just say that to the Lord? Thank you for the grace that you've given me. God, I ask you to connect me with my purpose. Show me where I belong, Lord. Keep me from disconnecting myself from the body. I want to stay joined together. Father, I pray that you'd breathe encouragement into every single heart that's here this morning. That if somebody came in discouraged, feeling like they don't matter, that you'd speak now into their hearts saying, you do matter. I know who you are, and I have a purpose for your life. God, I pray that each one of us would surrender to your will and your way. Thank you for how you created the body of Christ and that we can be a part of that. Father, I pray that you'd watch over every single person that's here this coming week. Pray that they could reflect the life of Christ to the world around them. We bless you now in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for coming. Have a great week. Uh, there's a service at 5 p.m. tonight. Pastor Penn's going to be sharing. So 5 p.m. if you want to come back for that.
Love to see you. God bless you.